Welcome to the Everything Podcast, the place for everything education. Whether you're a first-year teacher or a seasoned educator, our mission is to help you employ smart strategies in and out of the classroom. We firmly believe that teacher burnout isn't inevitable. Part inspiration and part implementation, we discuss the why and how to make your classroom effective and sustainable. We're your hosts, Danielle and Nicole. You're listening to the Everything Podcast, podcast episode 16. Danielle, can you believe we made it to 16 episodes? I am so pumped about it. Woo! We're making our way. <laughs> we, we totally are. And you know what I think all of our students are pretty pumped for at this time of year? Midterms. Midterms, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what we're going to talk about a little bit today. And even if it's not midterm season, this is still something that you want to be thinking about when you're talking with your students, when you're lesson planning, because no matter what time of year it is, there are going to be assessments. So true. I love the episode title for this week. I think it's just so perfect. Why do students think they're studying even when they're not? And what you can do about it, which I think is just exactly what we want. Because yes, I think we're all aware that there may be some holes in the studying plan that our students have devised. But the real trick is what can you as the teacher do about it to ensure that this is no longer a problem and you're helping them succeed in high school, in college, in life. Yeah. And I think that by addressing these issues, you are going to have a better relationship with your students overall. I think when students feel like they're studying, they believe that they're studying, they believe they're putting in the time and the effort and the energy and they are not seeing the results. It is really easy for you and your subject matter to become the enemy. And now we can prevent this. That's so, so true. I personally like to compare what I've been through as a student, as a graduate student, as an undergrad, and I talk about my study habits as a way Mm -hmm. to sort of bridge that gap. A lot of students tend to think of you as this separate being Far You've from... always been a teacher. I've always been a teacher. I live here. You were born a teacher. <laughs> exactly. But bring in some of that. And I think it really establishes that trust. And I think, mm-hmm. hey, I made it this far. I studied okay. And let's talk about that. Right, right. And one of the things that I know you and I were talking about a little bit before we hit record was whether or not anything has actually changed in terms of studying since we've been students. It's so true. I think about this all the time. There's just so much more available for students these days. There's so much more technology, of course. There's so much at their grasp, which I think is incredible. But it also makes you think about how are they using that information and what are the actions that they're taking to help themselves learn? When you think about it, all these really cool technologies involve more or less the same skills, the same techniques. And it just (laughs) makes me think about how things really haven't changed so much that I can't have this discussion with students and their parents can't have the same discussion with them as well. Yeah, Um, I think that part of it is the students might not realize that they're studying poorly unless we are the ones to initiate that discussion. I like to involve students in this early on. I like to involve parents in this early on. And I think, like you said, Danielle, when kids know that they're putting in all of this effort, they tend to almost be in denial a little bit about how this result is not directly correlated with what I all of that I'm doing. Yes, absolutely. Um, so 
can we go over some signs that maybe your students are actually struggling with this? Because I feel like there are a few key like phrases that students tend to use and tend to come up when they're feeling frustrated and they're, they just don't know what to do. They, they are studying as far as they're concerned. It's so true. In my foreign language classroom, so often I ask students to work through something. I prompt them to do something and they will find the answer by mm-hmm. looking it up. And yes. that's the end of this. That's the whole end of the story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I translated it. I used an online translator. And Perfect. <laughs> okay. So I translated it or I answered it or I did it. Right. I feel like are frequently uh, used phrases when I'll ask students who are expressing their their feelings of discouragement about the grades that they're getting. And I'll say, okay, did, did you study for the test? And they'll say, or quiz or whatever it is. They'll say yes. And I'll say, what did you do? I did the study guide. I looked at the Quizlet deck. I, what, so, something of that nature. Right. And all that's kind of vague. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And I think we're eventually going to get to this, but the main difference is taking action. And that's, that's the biggest thing is the action part on the student's end. And, Absolutely. And, and we're definitely going to touch on that in a few moments. But just getting back to some of the things that we hear so frequently, and maybe some of our listeners are feeling this as well. Mm-hmm. So often my students are just kind of passively rereading the material, mm-hmm. going through the motions. They've taken notes. They're flipping through the pages. They're going back on whatever device they took it on. And just by passively going through the motions again acts as they're studying and it's just simply not enough. I've had students, maybe we're going to have a quiz or a test on a short story. And because the short story is therefore short, it's only like 10 pages long. They tell me, um, but I read it twice. I read it twice last night, but if they didn't understand it the first time, what is reading it helping you with? Right. And if your notes are anything like mine, Danielle, they provide a framework for whatever the topic, whatever Mm -hmm. the discussion you're having, but they aren't examples of potential test questions. Yeah. These notes, they don't provide the same type of questioning that a test or a quiz might, which is why students get so tripped up because they just expect to see it in front of them in their notebook and then Mm -hmm. on the test that they receive the next day. Yeah. And I don't think that that is necessarily a language classroom issue either. I think when I hear students complaining about other subjects, even like math or something, it's always the question was so much harder on the quiz or the question was so much harder on the test. And I want to really ask them and make them think about, well, if I gave you a question with numbers that you had selected, would you have been able to do it? Or did it have to be the same exact numbers Mm -hmm. as the one that you wrote down? Interesting. Yes. And I, I'd be curious to how they'd respond to that. Maybe they'd be a little bit in denial. Like, well, I think I could do it. You know, I put in all this effort, but. Right, right. Because sometimes I think they are so focused about the amount of time that they've committed that they don't realize that it's not necessarily the quantity of minutes or in some case hours. I've had some students who are so frustrated. I spent three hours on this last night. Mm-hmm. How could I possibly have failed? And it's about how to just having the book open doesn't mean you spend three hours preparing for the exam. There's almost no situation where I'm giving an exam where you need to prepare for three hours unless you just didn't read the novel and you need to read the whole thing. 
I've gotten the same thing. And yeah, it's the same type of discussion again and again. And that's what I mentioned earlier. I do like to bring in students on this topic early on in the school year, especially at this pivotal point in the year where a lot of people are either ending their first semester, they're starting something new, they have some type of mid-year assessment. It's so important to have this discussion with students. I think a lot of the time they don't realize where Mm -hmm. they are. A lot of the time they don't see it as an issue because maybe it's worked out for them on certain Mm -hmm. assessments and it's just kind of been the case and, and that's fine. But I think that it's just, if students don't learn how to study, it's just going to become an issue down the road. It's just inevitable. Yeah, it's something that can easily snowball out of control because I bet if they don't know how to study for your class, they don't know how to study for any of their classes. Yep. I don't think enough of us are having that conversation with students to try to like rectify that particular issue. But even if all you're doing is making sure that you're going over it with your students, it could touch upon other disciplines too. I know when a student comes to see me um, maybe after school and they've been having some frustrations with things after I just kind of like ask them questions about what they've been doing in the past to prepare, I ask to look at exactly what it is that they've been preparing from. And I tend to give study guides before tests, which the way I give study guides might not be how everybody else gives study guides, but I have looked over study guides and they're just not answering the questions. They've written stuff on the paper, but those things that they've written down wouldn't get full credit on the test even when they're trying to do this with a book open in front of them. So then how do you combat that? Do you collect it? Do you grade it? Do you give it back? Like how, how do you do that exactly? So when I give out study guides, it's more like these are the topics that I think you should be able to have a really intelligent academic conversation about. I absolutely hate, and it's one of my pet peeves, giving students all of the questions ahead of time. And I think some students get so used to many teachers just copying and pasting the questions that they're going to see the next day. Right. Example questions or things like that. Yours is more skills based. These are the skills that you should be able to have. These are the skills or these are the ideas and concepts that you should be able to articulate how we see those in the text, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. I do a lot of open-ended stuff. So when students come to see me with their study guides, sometimes the writing is the actual issue and they can like discuss this information, no problem. And then we'll put that stuff down on paper that they were able to explain. Sometimes even when I'm trying to discuss it with them, whether it's in writing or verbally, they still have no idea. And sometimes it's a matter of they don't know what the question is asking. Um, I know today, for example, I was meeting with one student before our test tomorrow. And we're talking about the Odyssey in class right now. And I asked on the study guide um, about characteristics of epic uh, poetry, which is something we had discussed in class. And he wrote down characters in the epic poem. So again, it, it could be a simple disconnect where people are just, they're so interested in making sure that the work gets done, that they mm-hmm. put in the time, that they're not actually looking it over to make sure that there's any sort of accuracy to what yeah. they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, Danielle, that reminds me of the very frequent complaint that I hear from students that they've used some study, study technique that just simply hasn't worked for them. And the one that mm-hmm. I hear 
oddly frequently is that they have rewritten the information multiple mm-hmm. times in their notes. Yes. And it almost, <laughs> I have to wonder, like, were they doing that in, like, early 1900s? Like, when was that a trend? <laughs> I just feel like it's such yes, a Yes, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, because... I just picture someone in trouble having to write things over and over again. And um, sometimes they're rewriting the thing that they never understood in the first place. What does that mean? Yes, yes, I know. <laughs> I feel the same way. It's such a mystery to me. And I, I, I get it, the repetition, and I get that. But it's true when there is a disconnect, when you're writing it for the first time, you're sitting in class, mm-hmm. you don't address it as a student. And then you continue to move forward, still not addressing the thing that you don't understand. And yes. Rewriting it five times over. And then you're coming in to tell your teacher that you've spent two hours studying. And mm-hmm. that's the word that's the way that they're using the word studying. Right. It is, it is challenging. So I definitely think having that conversation and having that reflection of what is the way that you prepared and, and really using vocabulary around that, because I think that kids think of studying and there are probably 15 different things that come to mind. And Mm -hmm. that's fair. I think that's fine because studying should mean many different things, but I think that it's, it needs to be specific to the student and having that type of reflection as to what worked, what didn't work, what are the things that maybe you struggle with vocabulary a little bit, and maybe there needs to be uh, more time spent on that. Maybe you need some extra help with that or, or whatever the case is. I just think that having that kind of uh, reflection is so important. And when you're talking about just rewriting the notes, I think that a lot of our students also do the same kind of thing, but using technology as their crutch to do that. Yep. So I will give students a study guide and instead of answering the questions based on what they know, they just look up using their iPad each of the answers, which most of the time is not relevant to anything that we've discussed in class. So if I'm asking about a particular character or an author's life or something like that, if all you've done is type it into Google, we might not have actually gotten to that part of the novel or that. Danielle, I will raise you one. Try doing that, (laughs) but in a foreign language. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. (laughs) When there are multiple meanings and colloquialisms and all of that, and you're just like, where, what is this word? Where did this come from? Yes. Out of context, completely unrelated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that just because they they wrote it down, they, quote, looked it up Mm -hmm. and wrote it down. Therefore, they're studying. But the study guide's purpose is there to help you identify your gaps and what you need to go back over. And so many of them are just seeing it as like another box to check. Yep. I completely agree. And I really do feel that the main difference is taking action. The main thing that students is the passive versus getting involved, using what you've learned, reflecting, and maybe understanding some of the things that you've seen in class are somewhat relevant to the test or the quiz that you're about to take. So that comes from the teacher's end and that comes from the student's end. And I think that we can do a lot to set the tone from the start in helping students understand what the ultimate goal is. And I think that it helps them to also gain that perspective as to, wow, what I'm doing in class tonight for my homework assignment will eventually be seen again in some shape or form on my next assessment. And that's our responsibility and it's theirs. Without a doubt. I know that um, part of our midterm has always been a cold reading passage where they have to answer comprehension questions. And that is something that standardized tests do regularly, right? So if you're 
thinking about something like the SAT or the ACT, it's a skill they have to do. And students are like, but how do I study for that? Well, have you been doing the homework every night I've been assigning where you read a passage and answer questions? You, you don't have to study for it. You're already actively participating in cultivating that skill. I think that really brings us to our next point, which is anticipating patterns. Mm -hmm. I think that it's okay to clue students in on this. There are things that you do as a class, things that you do individually, things that you do in groups that may happen in a pattern week to week, unit to unit, and maybe those things will also be seen on on an assessment or two. And I think that it's okay to have that as either a discussion or even using some of familiar language in both so that students can are signaled to recognize that this thing has been seen before. Mm-hmm. And I just think that it also establishes some trust. I think that students appreciate when they put in a lot of effort into something formative during a particular unit and then all of a sudden they see it again in a summative assessment and they mm-hmm. think, wow, this was worth it for me to spend all this time. Yeah, especially if it was something that may have been a little bit challenging for them at the beginning. It's almost like, oh man, that that paid off. Yeah. (laughs) No figure. Yeah. It's almost like it was structured in that way. (laughs) But I do think that understanding how to locate those patterns is a bit of a life skill that students really need. And when I tell them that they need to think, and this is something that I have gone back to when I was teaching standardized test prep to ESL students. And even now in my class, I tell them, who do you think creates the tests? People, people create the tests. If you were creating the test, what would you put as the trick answers? Yeah. And they're, they're blown away. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So true. And another technique that I like to use is, of course, I like to involve the backwards design technique in my unit planning and the way that I present information in a lesson plan and the way I present my information in class. I like to involve kids in that discussion, having it as this is the new unit they're about to start. This is a new vocabulary. And by the end of this, you will be able to blank. Mm -hmm. And that's so empowering. And if it's not empowering and they get bored by it, guess what? It's showing you what your end goal is. And that's, (laughs) I think that's, that's helpful and it's succinct and it gives them clarity. Yeah, and that connects with understanding what type of assessment you're preparing for in terms of what you should be doing in order to prepare. So while I don't think it's really, really important if the student understands if there are eight multiple choice questions or 10 multiple choice questions or something that is just the minutia of that type of thing, but I do think that students should understand that preparing for an open-ended in-class one-question essay is a different exercise than preparing for something that is entirely multiple choice or something of that nature. So Danielle, what can we do right now to take some first action steps helping our students start to understand that even though they think they're studying, they may need to change their ways? I think that if we're thinking about what we could take away and implement in our classroom right now, it's to start the discussion now. If you're listening to this in real time, it's the beginning of the new year, which sounds like a great time to go over these things again. If it's also falling at the like midterm season of your calendar year, another great time to have this as a full class discussion. 
I like to also include some things online. I think a lot of the time this conversation begins with the parent. I've received a number of parent emails, parent teacher mm-hmm. conferences, where it's just been more of like a general, how can my student get better at studying? And it's such a fair question. And like we've said a couple times now, there aren't enough people talking about this. And it just, there's not really enough time to do it, honestly. And the tool that you can provide your students and arm your parents with is information. And I like to post a couple pages on our portal in order to outline some great tools and also some helpful organizational tools, a timer, different mm-hmm. ways, apps to lock your phones so that you can't go on social media for a few hours, <laughs> just different ways that I think maybe they hadn't had, hadn't thought of it before, but why not start now? And not only can they not go on social media, they can't just look up the information. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because again, they don't realize that simply looking up the information does not count. So going back to that idea about having this open and honest discussion, and in terms of that discussion, I want to make sure that when you are speaking to students, you ask them to think about it on a personal level. What is it that you need to go over? Instead of what is it just on the study guide, maybe you can blow through this first part of it, no problem, because you really, really have spent the time, you've read through the information, you know who all of those characters are, but you have a really difficult time articulating how the themes come up in the chapters. Maybe don't spend all of your time equally on the study guide. Go through what you need to go through, but then make sure that you're prioritizing what works for you. And I think that when students hear the advice that they should study like with a partner, I think that that's often good advice. But again, students don't know how to do that. So if one student naturally is a better student. This comes to them a little bit more easily. They can blow through everything. The other student might think that kind of by proxy or by proximity or something of that nature, they've studied too, but that's not always the case. Or I've seen them, um, in fact, sit down and work on a study guide together, but together is not so mutual. (laughs) I agree with that completely. And Mm -hmm. I do think that involving students in this conversation is huge. And we Mm -hmm. touched on this a little bit before, introducing a new topic, a new reading, a new anything, and having that skills-based vocabulary around it, you will be able to, if you want to use those words, if you want to say, you know, I can statements, whatever it is that you think students Mm -hmm. will resonate with, that will allow them to see where they're headed and all the ways that this this current and future information is going to be relevant. Awesome. So to recap so far, step one is have these honest discussions with your students inside of class and make sure that you're giving them the material, whether it's inside of class or outside of class, to actually take action on it. Like you were saying, and kind of like in uh, digital space where you can provide extra material, things like that. And the second one, making sure that the students know where they are going by giving them the end goal right from the start. Really nice. And step three, going one-on-one with students who are struggling, asking the question, what does studying look like for you? Encouraging students to use real vocabulary around that. Studying for me looks like this. Studying for me looks like creating a a Quizlet deck, reviewing it, Mm -hmm. drawing it, (laughs) using whatever means they can. And, and I think that that's, we used this word before, it's empowering. It's also a process. 
mm-hmm. and having students use that as this is what's worked for me and it's maybe going to also work for me in this subject area. Yeah. Seeing that as it does translate, it is personal to me and I can make it work in the future. And if you're taking that conversation to the student, you can prevent those often loud complaints and often not at great times about things like, but I spent four hours, but I did this, things like that. So I think that's a really great way to get ahead of problems before they become problems. Agreed. And how about our very last step? Bring it home, Danielle. (laughs) Our very last step. Um, especially if a student comes to talk to me one-on-one, I like to offer to look over what they're studying and work with them on creating their study plan. I think that sometimes we assume that students can do that and they probably can um, with a little bit of handholding depending on who the student is. Sometimes they just don't realize how off the path they are until they get a little bit more direction. I know some teachers will go over an entire study guide in class I don't do that. I give my study guides to students two days ahead of time. So that way, if they have questions, they can come and talk to me one-on-one. They can send me an email if it's one or two things. But I know that, at least in terms of my classroom, my students, if I were to give them a study guide and we were to go over every answer in class, I would just have kids who are just scribbling down the answers on the study guide in class, still not learning the material, still not trying to figure out where they're lacking and where they need to like spend more time. So for me, this has been the most effective way of making sure that students who do need a little bit of help are getting that through a study guide. Um, But I need to actually see that study guide if they're having a lot of trouble, because as soon as I look at it, or as soon as I look at their notes, most of the time I can diagnose in seconds where they've gone wrong. Danielle, we touched on so much today, and I hope that this provided some value-added tips for our listeners about how we as teachers can have a more productive conversation with our students about studying and the ways to prepare for their next assessment. Yeah, I can't wait for our students who think they're studying to actually be studying. (laughs) It'll make everyone's lives better. 2019 (laughs) goals, right? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Thank you, Danielle. Thank you. I'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. If you'd like to learn more about us and the services that we offer, head to everything.com.